0: Welcome back to Derry Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Derry Civic Center, this is Ben Graham with your news. Representatives from the Chamberlain City Council have recently made a statement condemning the inaction of several nearby cities during the tragedy which cost approximately 200 people their lives. A representative from Castle Rock was reported to have said, "'Get over it! We have shit to do ourselves!' and then high-fived the dairy chief of police this is dairy public radio
1: And gentlemen welcome back to dairy public radio i'm joshua Cond, once again alongside ben graham hi there constant readers and cm alexander
2: hey everyone
1: all right well thank you guys for tuning back in for our next episode uh so we're gonna get started on the second half of carrie so where we left off uh for part one we talked about the prom all the setup for the fall that's about it, to happen. should we
0: should we recap the plot because uh I realized last time we just jumped in, assuming everyone was
1: already familiar with the book.
2: They should have already read part one to be prepared for this podcast. We did tell them to
1: stop the podcast and go read it. Uh, Ben, would you like to to recap? Sure. From uh, what I remember
0: reading this two weeks ago, I believe Carrie is a weirdo. She got her period and then magic
1: powers. Nailed it. All right, uh so let's just go ahead and jump back into where the story picks up. So yeah. we jump back into Carrie getting ready for prom. As she's made her dress, she stood up to her mom, and the first thing that jumped out to me was the the confidence in herself when she's getting ready. And as she is getting, like, stronger and more independent and she's feeling better about herself, her mom starts beating the shit out of herself.
0: Oh, yeah. The imagery of Carrie physically pushing her mother out of her room uh, after she starts raking herself across the face with her nails is just... A
1: plus, pure king, it's
2: great. <laughs> yeah, it was really disturbing to read about how manipulative her mother was. It's
1: like we, as soon as we find like the bottom of the well of how bad Margaret can be, let's just like, oh, no, she's still worse than what we thought she was. And I just, I like that the the verbiage is that, not that she like throws her out of the room, but it says she gently She pushes her out and then gently closes the door on her. Just, like, so calm about it. Just, all right, we're done here. Yeah, it's, uh, this Carrie in
0: this scene makes the ending so much more tragic. Because in the scene, you see Carrie at the top of her, uh, independence. She's strong in her powers and in her, like, belief in herself I found myself like really
1: rooting for this carry before everything goes wrong. <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, I pulled out one piece of dialogue when she, when Margaret's saying, "Take off the dress, and we'll burn it, and we'll pray for forgiveness." That it says, her eyes began to sparkle with the strange, disconnected zeal that oh, that came over her at events which she considered to be tests of faith. Eesh. Now. I, in my mind, like, I'm, like, trying to imagine, like, the look of somebody, of somebody like Margaret, that what that look must look like. Mm. Yes, and it's something I actually, uh, I hadn't written
0: down. I don't think he uses the phrase in this book, but I talked last time that King has certain, um, king yeah. <laughs> that he, uh, just weird turns of phrase- things he uses over and over again in his books and he doesn't say it in this book but he likes the phrase um smiling without their eye or smiling without their eyes or they smiled and the smile never reaches their eyes and I've always been fascinated by that because what what the hell does that mean it's this <laughs> uh like wild
1: grimace almost I imagine like i can't even do it just like those those dead eyes behind like a like a like a very cheshire cat Mm -hmm. is is what comes to mind of like a smile that's not like meaningless in the eyes yeah of thing we we jump over to while she's you know getting ready we see what uh chris and billy are doing as they have talked about what they're gonna do to to prep for what's about to happen Mm -hmm. and uh this is, as we, we've talked about on the last episode, uh, about how much Stephen King loves women. And uh, another section that I highlighted is as she talks about uh, her and Billy having sex, the phrase, if she had not given in willingly on Monday, he would have taken her by force. Oof.
0: And there's a lot of that in the second half of this book. The violence towards women really ratchets up. In that I I didn't keep count, but I think there are at least five women that get slapped in the second half of this book. And a lot more uh, insinuations of uh, what Billy does, you know.
2: Speaking of what Billy does, can we talk about Billy's car?
1: (laughs) Please! Yes.
2: Is Billy's car Christine? And I ask this because it's described as old, dark, somehow sinister. And when he goes on to describe the windshield, he talks about it like it's an eyeball. It's um, described as as if a cataract was beginning to form. And apparently Hmm. he killed dogs with it. They talk about it coming back, dripping the front bumper. Yeah. Which kind of like feeds that whole Christine need for blood to yeah. sustain type thing. Uh, and he's a greaser, so <laughs> is this well, Christine? I, I wrote
0: that down once again. Why the fuck is George a greaser? Or
1: George Joey. Billy. <laughs> I've never read Christine, but I mean obviously Same. I know about Christine, and that never jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh, that's...
2: As soon as I read that, I was like, oh man.
1: I, we'd have to, when we get to Christine, I'd like
0: to Go over the timeline, see if it's possible. Yeah. That of course, weird. he does wreck it into the side of a bar in this. And... Yeah, but Christine
1: repairs itself. Does it? Yeah. yeah. I've never read or seen Christine. They made oh. a movie, um, right? That's like the only one of the few things. I remember a scene of it getting smashed and it just like fixes itself. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. Do we need shit. to
2: Christine next? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: All oh, right, we I, got our next book figured out. <laughs> so was we, and then, then we find out about how like, Chris and Billy got together. And it's just, like, a really... kind of a fucked-up story. Like, with the him driving recklessly and the tire blowout and all that. Uh, I felt it was a weird backstory to throw in this late in the game for these two characters that are obviously the fucking worst. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, what do you think King was hoping to accomplish with giving us that insight into their relationship and how it developed?
1: Honestly, like, my only guess... As far as like what I've been able to draw out of it is that we don't really know anything about Billy except for that he doesn't mind uh, bringing his friends out to sledgehammer pigs. Uh, we know that he is bad, but we don't know yet that he is vicious. And this is, I think, to show his to, to lead into his complete disregard for for everybody else in his life. Quick that- question. Is his name Billy or Bobby.
2: Billy.
1: Billy. Okay. My sure. notes say Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> do your L's look? Do your B's look like L's, and your L's look like B's? <laughs> is that what's happening? I I'm just
0: an idiot apparently. Oh, uh, that's fair. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out from about Billy slash Bobby is uh, there there's this one scene that just stood out. Doesn't really have anything to do. With the book in general, it's just a passage. Uh, I wrote down the quote. He liked to drive. The operation gave him a feeling of power that nothing could rival, not even fucking. <laughs> Calm down, Barbarino. What the fuck?
2: <laughs> what? I I just I I
0: hate the guy. I hate that character.
1: Why is he a greaser? Uh, Questions we'll never know the answer to. But you no, know, yeah, that that's it's a an odd detail about him that's just like uh i guess that just like reinforces his greaser stereotype and his love for his car and that his car is the only thing he gives a shit about uh, cuz it's like well and we'll, we'll get to it at the end but the fact that that when it gets wrecked like it's just fitting that he happens to die in his car yeah <laughs> because it's the only thing they gives a shit about and, and she gets to destroy that too
2: all of the owners of christine i think die in their cars
1: see Spoiler. Oh man! Shit! <laughs> this is oh. getting uh, a <laughs> deep cut.
2: You can't spoil a book that that's old. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's
1: that's a good point. Uh, so the the thing that I found interesting at the the end of this scene with uh, with Billy and Chris was that she when she sits up and she says maybe it, this is a bad idea and it, it specifically says that she didn't know if she was testing him or herself. Because this is this has all been done, this has all been set up, and there's like all of the pieces have been set in motion. Still, they have to go there and you know pull the the mm-hmm. rope. But all the pieces are there, and like for her, like to have this moment of uh, being unsure. And so I don't know what what did you guys think of her moment of second guessing?
2: I feel like she was testing him because nothing else about her actions or thoughts indicate that she had any hesitation or ever thought that oh maybe this is a bad idea unless i ignored some redeeming quality that she had <laughs> yeah
0: that's uh interesting cuz i thought the opposite of you know chris is a piece of shit she's a really terrible person but at her heart she's just a shitty kid like she she's just a mean person but this act that they've planned is beyond that it is cruel to a point that's beyond her i felt it was king pushing the final who is the ultimate bad guy of this book who is the worst of the worst on to billy and saying, you know, Chris came up with this plan But Billy is the true dark uh, center of the book Who has, like I said, no regard He, he doesn't even do it to personally hurt Carrie she, He doesn't care who he does it to He says at certain points, like, I would do this to anyone I would have done this to Chris, I don't care So, um yeah, I felt it was uh, a way of highlighting Billy's cruelty.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, she's this is far and away the worst thing she is ever going to have done, and yeah. by the end of her life, it will be the worst thing she's ever done. And and to have a moment of her trying to like subtly back out and see if he would let her, and then the moment that he's just like no, trust me, it's a good idea. And she's just immediately like, okey dokey. <laughs>
2: I would agree with that completely, but the thing I keep getting hung up on is later than, do they rape each other? Because it's almost written as if he's still the ultimate bad guy in that, but they're both just so violent with one another. That's
0: true. Yeah. That's maybe what's it's, giving me pause. He pushes her over the edge. This is the...
2: Together, like, they're just a bad combination. Yeah,
0: he's he's corrupted her fully.
1: Yeah. Well, cause he, we obviously, we've established that, you know, we, that he's got that, uh, the, the, basically the rapist side of him that will just take whatever he wants by force. And then it also talks about her, uh, they refer to it as Chris's sexual loop of seeking out, uh, college guys. Yeah. Uh, mm. so that, that would disregard her, then making them be like her puppies and then, like using them and uh and and leaving them so they both have like their own sexual abuse of other people they're very different kinds but the the two of them like trying to use each other and and do what they do to other people but to each other just like makes that a dangerously explosive combination
0: yeah all right uh can we talk about tommy and carrie and the prom For sure. Because I have so much um, to say, starting with Tommy picking Carrie up. It's such um, a tense scene of Carrie waiting in her living room, waiting, not knowing if Tommy's going to show up, and hearing her mother locked in the closet, like, ranting uh, these crazy prayers and whatnot. And then when Tommy shows up, it's such a, like, as close to heartwarming as this story gets, where it's like, ah, oh, something good happened, except for this. When Tommy picks up Carrie, uh, he he sees her and she he says, you're beautiful. Uh, you're like Galatea. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But apparently Galatea is some story... Uh the quote, she turned from a drudge into a beautiful woman. Well, fuck you too, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: what a shitty thing to say. Because he, he says that to <laughs> yeah, her. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's not subtext. That's not like the King oh being God. like, this is what Galtea is about. No, she's like, man, you used to be such an ugly shit. <laughs> But boy, I like your dress. Like, <laughs> oh, that's our we, good guy. That's Tommy.
2: Can we excuse that maybe in some way as a sloppy <laughs> teenage boy compliment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. That is.
1: <laughs> he's Tommy's doing his best. <laughs> Especially like he's in a position that, you know, he doesn't know how to handle this. Like his girlfriend made him take someone else to prom. Like that's already a weird spot to be in.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that because I love the juxtaposition between the um, kind of beautiful, romantic, and tender story that seems to be or that it could be unfolding between Tommy and Carrie and the foreshadowing that King does about Mm -hmm. things are not going to be okay. You know, they have two more hours to live and all of those little things. And Sue, back at home, having this almost fantasy about Tommy coming back and saying, Oh, I don't even know how it happened. I'm sorry, but I just fell for her. And you could almost see that being a reality, but then you know that Mm. that's not going to happen. Yeah, if this were a different book,
0: that could have happened. Yeah,
2: But it made me appreciate those tender moments a little more just because I knew that something Mm. dark was on the horizon.
1: Yeah. I do remember when I, when I got to that line of they had two hours left to live, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I think uh, in the, our first
0: episode, I, I was saying that I didn't really appreciate the foreshadowing parts where it just outright would say, you know, everyone died, but it works so much better when uh, it starts ramping up and there's almost that countdown throughout the second half of the book
2: you care about the characters at that point when they're doing it which i when he does that which i think is more effective because we're we want them to have that happy ending but we know they're not going to get it
1: yeah yeah well and it it brought up from uh the last episode you brought up the does stephen king like carrie and in the second act like She's she's charming with people. She's witty. Like she she talks about that she made her dress, and the other girl is like, "Holy shit, that's amazing!" And like, compliments her, and like, mm. she she feels like a like a normal person for like the first time in her entire life. Uh, but I do love that when they first get there, like the the counter to that is that when uh, George comes up to Tommy and they're yes. giving each other shit, Jeez. and she base like basically says, "I almost." threw him across the room when he like came at him like she was so keyed up and like waiting for the other shoe to drop that Mm. she was about ready to send this dude flying across the room to be fair she should have thrown george across the room
0: (laughs) i have a note that just says tommy and george dawson fun racists what the hell is with their vietnam riff
1: yeah okay
0: fine it was written in the 70s (laughs) (laughs) But he, like, just short of his, like, hey, Tommy, ching-chong-chong. And it's like, what in the hell,
1: George? Yeah, it was very weird. All right, so as we're we're talking about prom, and then we start jumping back and forth, because obviously prom is, like, a huge part of everything that happens. And we see, you know, Carrie being very excited. But then we also see the, uh, the flashback to Billy and Chris's prep. Uh, Mm. which just in that dialogue is just another establishing thing of all of Billy's complete disregard for like oh my fingerprints aren't on this I didn't do this if they dust for prints it'll be someone else's like he's so excited for this that he just does not give a shit and it's like kind of like that last straw of uh, like you mentioned it could happen to anybody and and Mm. I'm fine with that and then we also get the uh, the thing with Margaret at home being like Yep, I'm going to kill my daughter. I I think it's that section where
0: it kind of, it never outright says what broke her, but her insinuations of her history with her husband and the roadhouse is so chilling.
2: That was when I kind of realized, looking back, I had sort of missed um, when Stephen King talks about, I don't know why I say that, when Stephen King talks about, as I was reading the book, <laughs> and they were reflecting on you know, her having the butcher's knife and they said it was to cut the cord. Duh, it was to kill her, but she couldn't do it. Mm. And then um, when she mentions that she, I think she came into the room, Carrie was in her crib and she was using her powers, and Ralph actually stopped her from killing her then. And I was like, oh, wow, she's been trying to kill her basically her whole life. And then finally just, like you said, broke mm. and had this moment where, you know, okay, now I'm ready. I'm going to do it. I should have done it. I think it was her um, becoming a woman that mm. set that off. Like,
0: Well, that's, yeah, uh, it, her budding sexuality, like, sex is such a huge theme throughout the book. And... Uh, Margaret's views on sex that have gone back throughout her whole life that she views any sex as evil um and how uh her viewing Carrie as a cancer stems from this zealous religious view on sex being evil is really uh
1: really fucked up yeah (laughs) The the thing that I kept wondering, like, that I almost wish they had spent more time on in that conversation is that he says, she says, like, Ralph stopped her. I want to know how. Like, somebody like that hell-bent, uh, that, you know, that dedication, that, like, this decision, like, what, what do you think Ralph could have done to stop this?
2: Given how religious they are, I assume that he did it by being... Like, by playing that, I am the man, you are my wife, Mm -hmm. you do what I say, because that's why God made you roll. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, more eloquent than that, but. Sure.
1: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't really think about that. I was trying to, like, my brain was like, how do you have a rational conversation with this, a person in this state, to be like, hey, heads up, don't kill your daughter? Have we tried that, thinking about that option? Maybe? We good? Oh, all right, cool. (laughs) And then he just backs out of the room, and she's like, ah, he got me <laughs> it's just it's such a weird like thing to gloss over with no uh no explanation mm. and I feel like i that's
2: it's a short book in comparison to what he usually does where we get pages upon pages sometimes more than I can handle of <laughs> all of that detail and and you know obviously he started to do that more and more as he was writing more but yeah, this book by comparison is so so short
1: mm-hmm. We spend all that time about changing a stupid flat tire. We could have spent it here. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, <laughs> the shit about Billy. The
0: four pages
1: about Billy screwing some buckets to a
0: beam. Like <laughs> of the entire book, that was the one part that I'm like,
1: okay, okay. okay, to be we fair, can move on. We can- uh, does anybody else think that Billy just should have, you know, gone to college for engineering? If he could have turned his life around, he had
2: potential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so we go back to prom. And this is uh, from it's one of the excerpts from the uh, My Name is Sue Snell, where she she writes like they talk about um, or no, this is uh, this is Tommy, I think. Either way, uh, they're talking about like, you know, she has to be home by 1030. She promised her mom, even though her mom is locked in a closet and she's Mm -hmm. still trying to do right. And so Tommy brings up the afterwards of going to Kelly Fruit and grabbing a root beer and a burger because it'll be empty. Everybody will be gone elsewhere. And the the line says, this is the girl they keep calling a monster. I want you to keep that firmly in mind. The girl who could be satisfied with a hamburger and a dime root beer after her only school dance so her mama wouldn't be worried.
2: That was Sue. Perpetually playing the advocate for... Everyone involved in this story from saying, you know, we were just kids to Mm. defending Carrie's ultimately horrific act.
0: Now, let's move on to how much I hate George Dawson again. (laughs) I fucking hate this guy. Jesus Christ. What's your deal with George? My deal is that when he walks into the prom, his first thing he says is, vibes, vibes, vibes. Us racial slurs love them big fender vibrations (laughs) that is why i hate george (laughs) dawson that is the most stephen king (laughs) fucking awful (laughs) that is the most king teenager dialogue (laughs) Possible <laughs> vibrations. By the way, spelled v i y y y b r a t i o n s. No, classic no. spelling. You classic gotta, spelling of vibrations. Gotta say it how it's spelled. Jesus <laughs> Christ! Vibrations. Uh, I, boy, I love Stephen King, but <laughs> he doesn't know how humans talk. He sometimes does. he's
1: got the voice of the teenagers on lock. Who, boy? So the uh, the thing that I find I found like the most disturbing in all this of like everything that happens at prom leading up to obviously the worst stuff is uh, we talked last episode about uh like how people are good to carry or about Carrie when she's not around. so she never mm-hmm. sees that. And one of the big arguments is that Miss D Miss D is is trying to make something right that was very wrong. And then she comes up to her at prom and she says, Carry anything that happened before, well, it's all forgotten. I want you to know that.
2: That is the worst apology. Yeah,
1: it's not good. In
2: the world. Very dismissive of her experiences. Yes. <laughs> like,
1: the, the teacher's just like, hey, that terrible thing that happened to you about it, we're all fine. Yeah,
2: all that suffering, it, <laughs> it's, it doesn't matter.
1: Everything we all did to you, we're over it. Yeah, remember pretty, how I slapped pretty you? now. Well... That was a while ago, so why don't you forget about it? I slapped you, and now you're pretty. <laughs> uh, but I, but I just love the fact that, like, if this, if this conversation, this apology had happened at the very beginning of the book, Carrie most likely would have nodded, said "uh-huh," and walked mm-hmm. away. As I believe, if Carrie had a catchphrase, it would be the "uh-huh." uh-huh. <laughs> but the fact that she says, "I can't forget it," and that she says she was going to say I don't blame anyone anymore like that's what she would normally have said Mm -hmm. and then she says uh, but it's over with now it's over with like that she but in her internal monologue she says that she blamed them all and she always would she was never gonna forget she was never gonna just like let that slide she was prepared to
2: move on though which is was was ruined
1: (laughs) yeah but that she that that response is it, it says she wanted more than anything else to be honest, which is why she bit off the mm-hmm. the expected response and was just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's over. But she's like, not, it's like, not saying you're off the hook and all's forgiven, but just like, it's over. Yeah. And it was, But I, I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that apology, especially because she's the one, like, who has been, like, trying so hard to make it right you know, mm. unbeknownst to Carrie, she's been doing all this. Granted her punishment is kind of what sets these dominoes in motion anyway, but that's not the point. The right. point is that's a garbage apology. <laughs> and I am not okay with it.
0: Yeah, and then later on in one of the I think the White Commission, she's like, Oh, if I would have just reached out a- Yeah. Yup. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh, if only I would have Actually said I'm sorry or anything other than hey uh
1: I'm not gonna slap you again. Like, (laughs) we're good, right? I imagine with that delivery, (laughs) it was finger guns and backwards (laughs) walk-away. I was like, that's it, that's how that scene ends. Like, oh man. Yep, all's forgiven. That's dynamite. Uh so then we go to uh we jump back to see Sue home alone and pregnant right and never mentioned again right I mean it's I mean
2: well it's no, implied it is, later well later okay like later the very, does she very get end? her period or does she have a miscarriage
0: no that's right because yeah.
1: oh yeah, that's at the very end, isn't yeah. it? I forgot about I'm that I'm pretty point. sure... The way I felt about it was that it was 100% a miscarriage.
2: Yeah. Well, and... I was going to talk about this later, but I'm just going to go for it now. Go for it. Um, she's... At the very end, she finds Carrie, and Carrie is, like, kind of rifling through Sue's mind, and it's described as, you know, a library and picking books off the shelves, which reminded me of... Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher. Yeah, I was going to tie that in, but I'm wondering if you know, unbeknownst to Sue or undisclosed to us per Sue, she knew she was pregnant. And I don't know, would Carrie do that? Given everything else we've Mm. seen her do, would she terminate that pregnancy? Well, at that
0: point. Oh, that is a dark implication. That's real dark. Holy shit. But at that point, I don't know, would she have the power or even the foresight to do that? Because she's dying. She is like
1: in her death throes.
2: That could be her final act as she's dying too. The last of her energy is expended doing that.
1: Yeah, she's she's taking this away. Uh I'm gonna th-
2: assume that just to be yeah. super dark. I
1: jumped I jumped to the uh the part I have highlighted when she's doing that rifling because I I wanna bring up the, the line that I highlighted that she had the feverish feeling of being raped in her most secret mm. corridors began to fade. Yeah. Like If there's no more powerful imagery than how that felt of being, like, your whole brain being rifled through, I was like, that, yeah, yep, that got that through crystal clear to me about how invasive and uh, terrible that must have felt. Very
2: powerful statement.
1: But I imagine, I, I assumed that the miscarriage is not Carrie's doing so much as it is the amount of trauma that that, put the body through of Carrie digging through her body. Some I, unintentional I honestly
0: Yeah change. I, I don't even like make mess. that connection. I just thought it was her getting her period because of she wasn't you know, really symmetry B- uh, of the
2: yeah. book. Oh, and ends with yeah. one. I
1: don't know Stephen King loves him in dark ass theory though <laughs> Jesus I, I yeah. know that's
2: why I like
1: no it. yeah that is super dark I'm very <laughs> glad that you brought it up uh to to go a little lighter uh Billy's speech to Chris in the car uh like when they're getting ready for like you know they're sitting outside waiting that uh, oh yeah when he's like boy I love driving this car <laughs> Drive, drive, drive. I'm a greaser. It's 1979. (laughs) Why do I exist? It was when he's just like, look, you're going to pull this. Like, you are the one who's going to do it. I'll sit here until you do it. But this is not a joke. This is criminal assault. And you will go to jail when we do this if you get caught. But the, the part that I highlighted was, all right. When the buckets go, I'm going to run. When I get to the car, I'm going to drive away. If you're there, you can come. (laughs) If you're not, I'll leave you. If I leave you and you spill your guts, I'll I'll kill kill you. you. Do you believe me? I was like, holy shit.
2: At least he's very upfront in that figure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about the rules, you know, there are no surprises. She, <laughs> she didn't think that they were on this journey together yep. when really he just wanted to You're see right, we have
1: happen. been giving Billy a rough time. Let's <laughs> take it easy on him. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, oh, I read that and I'm like, god damn. That is a, like, and I just, the way at least I read it is like this cold, like, Making direct eye contact, mm. leaned across like inches away, and just in the calmest, coolest voice, being like, Here's what's gonna happen I will fucking kill you. Yeah, dig. Hey, <laughs> because he's a greaser, so he, <laughs> <laughs> so he reaches a jukebox, out the window and pounds on a jukebox. <laughs> Starts playing the Happy Days theme song. Right. Yeah. Elbows the (laughs) dashboard. So music starts playing, and then uh, a bunch of girls come out of nowhere and they walk out. Yeah. But like, I just that just threw me so hard. Of like, this fucking psychopath. Yeah. So uh, next, let's uh, the the vote. Like, this is this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. When she sees that their name is on the ballot, the cruellest
0: thing. It's it's cruel not of any of the characters but of Stephen King I I think honestly the whole book is fucking cruel of the author because the ending is so fucking bleak and tragic the added insult of Carrie being elected by one vote, her own vote. vote Yeah, that was heartbreaking because okay so they, they have the vote for the king and queen and Tommy and Carrie are on the ballot and Carrie says oh they'll, they'll never vote for me and when the vote comes up they count them and it's a tie uh, between Tommy and Carrie and who cares uh, <laughs> and so they have a second vote a runoff between everyone just voting for one or the other and Tommy who convinced Carrie to vote for them the first time, Uh, says, well, in for, what does he say? In for a penny, in for a pound or whatever. Mm. And Carrie begs him. She says she feels this ominous dread that something bad is going to happen. She begs him, please don't vote for us. And he, once again, just like Sue, thinking he's doing the right thing, thinking that he's helping, dooms them by writing by voting for themselves then they win by one vote and it and the whole time it's obviously counting down the there they had half an hour to live they, this happens at 10 or 10 30 or whenever it happens it's such a downer thing to not only be like carrie's
1: doomed to kill everyone but that it
2: was narrowly prevented oh yeah
1: Uh, I, but, and then, so they win and, uh, this is another opportunity that, that King uses of the internal monologues of, of everybody involved Mm -hmm. and the fact that both of them are just so like, they, they really didn't expect to win. Like you can tell by their, their reaction, how like frantic their internal monologue is as they're going up. And then the thing that I highlighted here was that, uh, Tommy's internal monologue says she was right. And I love her. Well, I love this one too. This Carrie. She is. She is beautiful, and it's right. And I love all of them. The light. The light in her eyes. Which goes back to like the that that theory of like, had this not gone gone down the way it did. Could there have been a love story here? Like, yes.
2: I'm just going to say yes.
1: <laughs> no, no yes, doubt about it. And it would have been written by
2: Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, man. Make and it then, a good story. Don't let her right yeah, yeah, right?
1: So then we, you know, they, they get up on stage. And then Chris is standing there holding the rope and doesn't do it. And Billy's just staring at her. And uh, once again, because Billy gets all of the best pieces in this book, he says that afterwards, he was going on her like a raw cob through butter, Ugh. which is another King turn of phrase. Oh, so gross. <laughs> it's real gross. But the fact that he's just like, oh yeah, we're going to bang it's, real good after it's this. It's happening. <laughs> uh, and then we jump from there. So like, we've been waiting all this time. We build up the ropes pulled and then King has the audacity to jump over to Sue like we give a shit right now. <laughs> That's true. All of the parts with her, ours just felt
0: like filler, where she's like, I know something's bad's gonna happen. We're like, yeah, yeah we do
1: too. Shut up, Sue. <laughs> you did not have a monopoly on knowing she was going, <laughs> going wrong.
2: As we move into the next part, you know, the destruction, and then as she moves through the town, I want to bring up something that I did, because I, I kind of want you guys to think about this as we talk about it. I reread the book, but I only read through the interviews and the like the Inquisition and hey. the articles and all of those things, so I didn't read the actual story and my purpose was to, as much as I could, sort of set aside the knowledge I had about what really happened to see what side I fell on just reading these passages. And it was really interesting because it, it I was initially kind of leaning towards, well, yeah, this was obviously a conspiracy between Sue and Chris and Billy and Tommy to get Carrie mm-hmm. until I got to the Inquisitions when multiple people start talking about having Carrie like kind of in their head basically, yeah. and just knowing it was her, which I had totally forgotten about in the however many years since I initially read this.
1: That was that was in my notes as well of like how crazy that is that they, were like oh it was Carrie White. Did you know Carrie White? No. How do you know it was Carrie White? I just just knew. Yeah. Like as they're watching her. Have you stuff, ever I seen just... her? No. <laughs> yeah. You, you, would you know her if you saw her now? No. But I know <laughs> I that's Carrie. I did. However, find
0: it kind of funny that okay she's projecting this telepathic aura, but. The people that sense this aura don't feel anger, or sadness, or uh, terror, any of the emotions that Carrie would be feeling at the time. What they feel is just, Carrie, Carrie. Just her own name. As though Carrie is rampaging through the town being like, I'm Carrie. I'm Carrie. (laughs) Carrie Smash. It's me, Carrie. (laughs) I I thought that was kind of uh, a funny visual as I read it. Uh, weird choice. Do, <laughs> do you weird. think
2: that's because she... Maybe she wasn't intentionally projecting into their minds, but mm. it was sort of a incidentally. So that's why there was no real emotion attached to it or any thoughts other than just Carrie, Carrie. Uh, it,
1: it was an incidental thing that that was happening to yeah. people. <laughs> and, that, well, and a couple of people did say something about like... They didn't say they felt angry, but they could like feel she was angry. Mm. Like they could tell... she wasn't being put into that that state of mind Um, so in this being the first time I've read it but I've seen the movies the thing that jumped out at me uh, as you know buckets of blood fall covered in blood shit goes crazy Tommy gets knocked out by the bucket or like presumably knocked out Uh, the fact that she leaves
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: in in all of the the movies as soon as that happens shit goes down everything everybody burns to death and when she ran out, I was like, she, she's she gone? That's, <laughs> that's how I remember this going. Although that does lead to,
0: oddly enough, one of the most, one of what I felt was the scariest part. Maybe scary is not the word. But when one of the girls, there's a portion uh, that's written from the perspective of one of the other prom goers. Norma Watson. Norma Watson. There is a point that after she runs out, she's talking about how the crowd, when this blood drops on Carrie, that everyone just laughs hysterically. Uh, Not that it's hysterical, but they are literally in hysterics Mm -hmm. because it's such a terrible thing. But um, there's this part that after she runs out, everyone's kind of looking around like, what do we do now? And one of the she hears a girl next to her just say, carries back and she goes yeah. yes that is right and just that like that visual of everyone standing quietly and then one of one person in the crowd is just like without seeing her without knowing she is there because she's still outside Yeah, uh, Norma sees her outside of the window covered in blood with this crazy grin on her face but just one person just calmly carries back just gave me goosebumps. I was like, "Oh shit. That's terrifying.
1: It's uh, a great bit. I also highlighted in there that in her account uh, she says once all that happens, she says, "My god, that's blood," which is the first thing that's said in that very first scene that starts that off. I was like, that's a very interesting choice to go ahead and bring that bring that through. So all right, so let's let's jump into the chaos. So she comes in Slams the doors. And I I love that, like, so she turns the sprinklers on, first thing. And I didn't realize, it for, like, the fact that her method of madness kind of makes sense. Like, her, her idea is, yeah, now they're all wet.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, that'll teach ya. And then, <laughs> the electric starts going. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's again, it's like we, we reach all these cutoff points. Like, if this one thing hadn't happened, right. would this have stopped? If, if she'd... If, those sprinklers had gone off and everybody just gotten wet man there's a chance that she could have just eventually opened those doors and and that could have been it maybe but the fact that, like the electrical drops the the lead singer of that band gets electrocuted by his mic stand and just everything is bonkers the fire breaks out the school fucking explodes and then it's just like from then on it's just
0: yeah she's
1: all in so what? Is, okay, what's what's your guys's take on on all the destruction? Uh, for for me personally, the thing that I uh, thought was the the coolest thing is in my head. Rationally, I'm like, all right, uh, fire, fire trucks, all that's a normal. And then uh, also something they never explore in the movies is that aftermath of like what the town's going through. And oh, w- the, I've never seen the movies, well, so I have I, it. Yeah. I have it here. Awesome. But the fact that the the first hand <coughs> response of her just walking down and just stripping all of the fire hydrants. That moment I'm like, oh fuck. Yeah. Oh my god. I didn't even think about that. Yeah.
2: Like, well and the was it the ambulance driver who flicks his cigarette out the window and Yes. Cause, yes the Cause, Cause she the gas
1: station. Okay, to be fair, that was dumb as hell. <laughs> well the it's there's there's that and then the ambulance driver is when she's broken the gas man and it blows up an entire city block. Like the escalation of destruction just happens mm-hmm. so fast, and that's all. Yeah, like- and it all takes place over what do they say, like 45 minutes or something like that?
0: I think so. A couple I think hours, the- I don't know. The says. like
1: the destruction, yeah. From the sheriff's perspective, it happens over like 45 minutes over the course of from like blood drop to end of book. I think is two hours. Mm. I think,
2: yeah, because Carrie crawls to the um, I to the, the cavalier, yeah. Yeah. right? And that's. What, they say
1: that was like six miles or something? Yeah. So, Carrie thinks that Tommy's dead. We find out that Tommy was most killed likely... impact. Yeah, well, yeah, he was killed, killed instantly. That he was killed on impact. She thinks that he's dead and then that's... She just... She severs that dude's hand in the door because she's like thinking about Tommy and she loosens the grip on it and the guy gets his hand out and the fact she's like... She senses that she cut off... Not only that she cut off somebody's finger slamming the doors back, but she knows whose.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, all those, like, little details of, like, how ridiculously powerful she is, and she's not even really trying. She's, like, Mm -hmm. operating on instinct at this point.
2: Which makes me think, to your point about if she had just turned on the sprinklers and nothing else had happened, I think Tommy's death alone might have been a catalyst for her to lose it no matter what.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's true. So, what other, like, there's, what else was destroyed in this town in her, in her path? We talked about, so he does the gas made. Oh, the thing that I thought was interesting, she leaves the church standing. She doesn't touch the church. She goes in and she makes a comment about, that. like, he or it just isn't listening. Mm. And then goes outside, sees yeah. a group of people, and pulls down the power lines. Yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit! But that church? 100% fine.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Like, that's a weird choice, too. She definitely has a beef with god it's kind of a strange choice that she didn't just pull it down behind her um what's her does it explore her because she says that god's just not listening or not there and throughout the the whole prom she's talking about these she feels like a pagan and she enjoys it so she's severed her connection with with God.
2: Maybe that's why she didn't waste the mental energy of destroying the church, too. Almost maybe. like a slap in the face. Yeah, like that's not even important enough for me to do anything to.
1: Hmm. Well, it says the, uh, he w- he slash it was cowering from her. God had turned his face away and why not? This horror was as much his doing as hers. So, oh, like, shit. Oh, well, maybe like, leave, almost leaving it up as a punishment like, mm-hmm. almost as an affront to God of, of like like you said, like you know you're not worth my time, or almost a. Uh, I hope people will blame you, mm-hmm. and so that this place being intact gives people someone to blame. Like it's like I don't know if that's like too far of a reach, but, but that's
0: except that when she returns home after she's wrecked destruction throughout the town, she destroys just half the town at least, and then she goes home where her mother is waiting for her in the kitchen with a with a knife and when carrie comes home margaret makes this speech of like well you done it now i knew i should have <laughs> killed you i i knew it so and she does not hide the knife she just says you know come here bend down with me we'll pray and carrie falls to her knees in front of her mother so is she, is that her after all of this does she still feel a connection to God or is this just her way of I don't know suicide almost
2: like she doesn't care anymore like yeah that she knows her mother's
0: going to kill her
2: well, I got or... the sense that she intended to kill her mother and it didn't matter if she died in the process. Yeah. It's just mm, going to be, we're both right. going to go down if that's the way it has to be.
1: Yeah. They kind of acknowledge that like, oh, we're both going to kill each other. <laughs> like that's It's not as as calm as that, but it's like, at least that's kind of.
2: Sort of resigned to the fact that this was it for her, which could be too why she was so <laughs> reckless with the town as she was moving through it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what did you think of of Margaret's death? Did she she get what she deserved in the way she deserved it?
2: Uh, I didn't feel satisfied. Yeah. (laughs) honestly, I was
0: going to say, it's such a weird thing to be like, I wish that character would have been murdered more brutally. But yeah, it was very low key. After blowing up and like murdering however many hundreds of people in really these awful ways that that Margaret dies almost... It's
2: anticlimactic.
0: ...peacefully almost. I mean, not really, but, like... Yeah, it was very not super
1: satisfying. Yeah. Which, I mean, should it have been? (laughs) Well, yeah, because she just... She kind of, like, just slows her heart down until it stops. So, like, there's, like, this... Like, I, I appreciate that it gives that moment of, like her almost just drinking the moment in because this is because her mom's just stabbed her yeah fatally wounded her Yep. and she's just watching her as she just brings her heart down
2: if you think about it though that is really disturbing and dark oh yeah I I I'm gonna change my mind that's <laughs> yeah, that is a gruesome death it's not um, visually gruesome like the others it's just really dark and really personal yeah more personal than any of the other deaths.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's very intentional. Mm -hmm. Like, they, like, just looking at her and just, like, watching it happen and just, bam, done. So now the only people left are Billy and Chris and, well, and Sue. Those, like, the only people involved now, if there's Mm -hmm. anything left to do.
2: I like the way Billy dies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's perfect. But the, I like that they, they jump to Billy and Chris because they've been at the Cavalier. They don't know they don't know anything has happened this time, because right. they raw-cobbed through butter and then fell asleep. Oh, God. I feel gross having <laughs> Thank said you that for again. <laughs>
2: on the <laughs> Stephen King didn't ruin it, to be clear. I, oh, I did. Ruined. I specifically it,
1: ruined it in this episode. Uh, <laughs> you're going to be very disappointed at our Stephen King cookout when I have Corn on the Cobb.
0: Bloody
1: Marys. Uh, oh, yes! Uh, so we... Gross. We find out that they've been asleep. They wake up, everybody's gone, knocking at the door, and they find out that the fucking town is gone, and that Billy is very calm, like, eerily calm about it. He's like, like, he finds out this information who, to whoever was on the other side of the door, and he's like, super cool, I got this, slam, <laughs> <laughs> while Chris is losing her fucking mind like going nuts Mm -hmm. that he's just like all right nope we're 100% good we're just gonna hop in the car because the car's the solution to all my problems hop in (laughs) flip on the headlights carrie yeah uh
0: before we get to the conclusion with carrie can i say there there's something just idiotic that billy's plan after this i did all this terrible shit and like go run away to California and be a like, fuck you man I, it just <laughs> bothered me that's, that's a fair D- point the thought of him just getting away from it
2: he's clearly not invested in this in any mm-hmm. way at all Yeah, it means yeah. nothing to him and it's yeah. destroyed a whole town he,
1: he made the decision he thought it was going to be a good time now that it's blown up he's ready to just be like alright yep, I'm, I'm gone. Done. you can come with me or you don't have to I'll see you oh, never. A-
0: actually, when he's like, uh, she's like, "Can I come with?" And he's like, "Yeah, maybe." And then it's like, <laughs> "No, I'm not taking you with me." But whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that makes the his comeuppance much more satisfying. Yeah.
1: So we've we kind of touched on 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 what happens. You're very excited about it. You want to describe how how Billy and Chris end.
2: I, <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, so I'll try to do it justice. But... <laughs> Yeah, turn on the headlights. They're gonna get the heck out of Dodge. Who knows what Billy's gonna do with Chris at some point, since he let her get in the car, but she can't come with him. And Carrie is there.
0: She grabs the steering wheel, uh, makes him do a big ass donut, and then he slams full speed into the side of a bar. Oh god! And uh, so and then good. explodes. Uh, yeah,
2: I forgot about that. Well, cars explode when they crash. We all know this. <laughs> yeah, of course.
1: Uh, so then we have Sue just knowing where Carrie is, like has that feeling, follows her to this, gets there as the Cavalier and Billy and Chris are burning. Carrie's lying in a, a pool of blood, and we go through, like, as, you, as CM mm-hmm. talked about earlier, the like rifling through her head. So this is... Probably, like, of all the weird things to hang on to, this is the thing I probably hung on to the most when I read it, is that, so they have that connection, she's talking to her, and then Carrie just starts calling out for her mama, Mm. and she feels her start to die, and Sue is begging her to let her go, because she can feel Carrie dying, in yeah. her own head. And no matter, like, she's just, like, trying. Like, she's not even trying to comfort her now. She's just like, let me go. Let me go. Uh, please stop. Whatever's happening. yeah. And Sue feels her die in her head. It's,
0: yeah. It, that knowledge, like, it implies that she lives the rest of her life. Like, how could you forget that? She says something along the lines of, she now knows the, like, darkness waiting for her at the end of her
1: own life it's yeah it's and then uh, after she dies then it's the the slow course of dark menstrual blood down her thighs Mm. implying that either she got her period and she wasn't pregnant or that it was a miscarriage and then we go into the aftermath where we kind of find the little bit of epilogues so we find out so sue's written this book and she basically says i i want to i want to be somewhere where nobody knows who i am and i want to die alone like, it is, could complete given up. And I imagine that that has something to do with uh, with feeling someone die inside you. Like, I, I imagine that just, like, is a thing that she's obviously carried for the rest of her life. It's put her in a position that um, okay, this is a kind of a, a little bit off topic, but if Sue had not felt her die at the end, would Sue have written this book? It Would she have written this book with such defensive uh feelings towards carrie
2: i don't know she was clearly sympathetic towards carrie throughout the whole thing even before she felt her die so i uh, if i had to pick one i'd say yes i don't know i'd, I'd say yeah
1: probably yep. that's fair we have sue resigned to her life as is mm. the uh, grail the principal resigns mm. miss d quits Saying I would kill myself before ever teaching again, which fair, yeah, good decision because yeah. you're a terrible teacher. <laughs> you're, you're a god awful teacher. I her
2: defense. That was like her first year, right? Oh, that. that oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That it is like
1: <laughs> her very first teaching job. Um, we we find out that uh, amidst everybody else's death, they basically say the town is dead. That mm. yes, the the for sale signs, the U Hauls, like the the guy that was the janitor is now the manager of the lumber yard <laughs> or something like, because everybody like the town is waiting to die. It is mm-hmm. brought everything to a screeching halt, uh, that the, uh, you know, for the next four months, all there were, were funerals and mass funerals. Uh, and I did,
2: Oh, the graduation part was. Difficult. Yeah. Like
1: the, how few people there were for graduation, how the, uh, <laughs> this is that the band was Went from 56 to 40 people, which just proves that band nerds don't get invited to prom. <laughs> <laughs> that is That was my takeaway. <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> nobody asked the band nerds to prom. Is that, is that the moral of the that story? I hadn't <laughs> put that together, but yeah, that makes sense. All right, cool. That, I just want to make sure I wasn't alone in that. But that that, that is, follows, yeah. Yeah, all right. That tracks. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that the White Commission has said it was a fluke. This will, This will never happen again. Uh, mm-hmm. there's no test for telekinesis the only cure for it is a bullet in the head
2: oh I have that written down because that to me is the most disturbing line in the book when they're talking about the idea of testing kids for the TK gene and that's that remark specifically treatment would be a bullet to the brain
1: so my, I guess my, my question to, to kind of like bring it around like they, they spend all this time saying it was a fluke that's the, uh-huh. the white commission's whole point was that this is an isolated incident that can never and will never be repeated. Obviously, there's like the little, the note at the end that's talking about another child with telekinesis, but that doesn't, you know, it's not adding anything to the story. That's just saying that, it you know, the gene still is out there and that's fine. They've to have convinced everybody that it's a fluke, right? What, how do you guys feel about, about taking everything that's happened and in the end we have wrapped it up with, it's dismissed.
0: Yeah, well, that leads directly to the M. Night Shyamalan ending that it feels, (laughs) I don't know about you guys, feels entirely tacked on. Yeah. uh, That the book ends with a letter to some unheard of to this point character in West Virginia or somewhere. Uh, This woman writing a letter to another unknown character... About her life and then talks about her little daughter who, uh, she went outside and her daughter was playing with her marbles, but she wasn't touching them. (laughs) Can you believe it? I thought it was dumb. (laughs) Is that me? No, it's not you. I honestly
2: don't even know what happened in that letter because I'm a horrible person and I couldn't get past all the spelling errors. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, those... That was a rough letter to read. My brain does not want to read that. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in the country, so it was fine. <laughs> I was fine with it. How do you feel about the, the, the wrap-up as a, as a fluke?
2: It reminds me kind of of the way a lot of things are handled in life generally.
1: It's mm-hmm. kind of
2: a reflection in some ways.
1: Sam has no faith in humanity, is what that's, we're learning uh, uh, That's fair. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. That's fair. That, that tracks you know, it up. Alright, uh, so before before we wrap this up, does anybody have anything else?
0: Um, I, I actually, we haven't discussed this, but I thought it would be a fun thing, so I, I want to just pitch this here. Okay. Uh, what you think of rating the books on a scale of one to five blue chambray shirts. King has a habit, especially in his, uh, I want to say 80s and 90s books, uh, his characters are are a big fan of blue chambray shirts. Chambray? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, okay. but it's just like a blue button-down, like, imagine a blue-collar worker shirt. Okay. That's a blue
1: chambray shirt. On a shirt. scale of one to five blue chambray shirts? Yeah. All okay. right. Well, then. Until we think of something less that stupid. Works. Nope, that's canon now. Okay, So cool. how do you
2: rate it? Um,
0: I, overall, I, I really do enjoy this book. It has some problematic bits, I think. But that's uh, just a product of it being as old as it is, I think, and his first book. Overall, first book, I'll give it a solid three out of five.
1: Three blue chambray shirts out of five. Yeah, CM. Oh, Oh, me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. A, a given that I haven't read as much as you guys have, uh, but how much I enjoyed this and how, uh, again, it being his first book and how uh, how much I enjoyed the style, uh, I'm going to go ahead and follow and go uh, three three blue chambray shirts out of five.
2: All right. I Full disclosure, don't know that I'm ever not going to give the best we <laughs> do five blue chambray shirts. <laughs> Perfect. All That's right. fair. Three, That's three, fair. three,
1: and five. All right, uh, CM, you yeah, got anything before I'm we go? Yeah, I'm sorry,
2: guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drag this out just a few more minutes because oh, we fine. didn't get to this last time, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but I just really want to put this out there. Did you catch the Dark Tower reference? I absolutely did not. did not. Maybe an unfair question because I could be arguing for one when one does not exist, so you guys can give me your opinion. All right. There are two references to the black man. And I would make the argument that the black man is, whether consciously or subconsciously, a reference to the man in black. Um, The first reference to it, Carrie talks about seeing her mom drive him out in a dream, drive him out onto Mm, the street. uh And more disturbingly, the second reference, he is actually in one of the paintings, happens to be the painting in the closet. And he's described as sitting on a throne with the head of a jackal.
0: I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's I'm into also, that. Uh, that could very easily be just a reference to, especially the second one, just the devil. Right, but, which, he is which
2: compared to often, so yes, that's, yeah.
1: And, uh, and we know that the man in black can take many forms, mm-hmm. and so yeah, um, yeah, I'm into it. Especially the, the first one, I could definitely
0: see Carrie's mother dreaming of the walking dude. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, shit. So cool.
2: Uh, we got to read the stand. <laughs> yeah. God,
1: God. All right. All right. Well, uh, that has been our, our conclusion of Carrie. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we are uh, please tune in to our next episode. Uh, we're gonna watch the movie and then we're gonna do a little bit more discussion on Carrie before we we wrap all of this up. But this is it uh, on the book. So uh, once again, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I am Joshua Kahn. Thank you so much. Uh, please get up for Ben Graham. Long days and pleasant nights. C.M. Alexander.
2: Thank you so much for tuning in to our second episode, you guys.
1: Yes, and we will see you next time on Dairy Public Radio.
2: Hey, everyone. C.M. Alexander here. Thanks for tuning in to our second episode of Dairy Public Radio, Carrie Part 2. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed discussing. As always, please send your questions or comments to us on Facebook at Dairy Public Radio. Twitter at Dairy Public, and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio, or send us an email at Radio at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe to our podcast, we certainly appreciate that. And we hope you'll check out our third episode where we discuss not only the original Carrie movie, but a few other things as well, some you might guess and some you might not. For now, I'm going to leave you with a quote from the book we'll be discussing next, which will be announced at the end of our third episode. Passing time adds false memories and modifies real ones. Goodbye, listeners.